Hello, so today we're at uh, Real Ale's beautiful new home in Notting Hill, here with founder Nick Dolan and MD Zef King. Gents, thanks for having us. Um, please tell us a bit about yourselves and a bit about Real Ale. Afternoon and welcome, Tim. Um, my name is Nick Dolan. As you said, I own a founder, founded the business um, in 2005, so coming up to our 15th birthday in May. Um, and it's been a busy, rushed ride with lots going on. The beer industry's changed a lot over that time. And yeah, it's, it's been fun. We're in our new location in Notting Hill. We have two other locations in Maidervale and Twickenham. And then a whole other side of the business, which is wholesale um, into national multiples and stuff like that. I'll hand you over to Zef. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I'm Zef, Zef King. Um, been with the business uh, for 10 years now. Um, I'm MD of the business and uh, yeah as Nick says we've we've had a interesting ride over since certainly since my time in the last 10 years. So tell us a bit about really how the business has developed in those those 15 years you know um, a year is a long time in beer so 15 is a fantastic achievement. It's, it's we're going there we still want to do another 15 or another 20 or another 30. I mean uh, the story goes that um the long story is I was living in, I'm dual citizen of uh, Canada in the UK. I've got a Canadian mother. I was living in Canada at the time. Had a call from my best friend's dad who has a farm in North Norfolk, a big uh, arable farm, growing barley, saying that he was thinking about opening a uh, beer shop on his farm. I flew back over, moved back over to the UK and helped him open the beer shop in North Norfolk. It's called the Real Ale Shop. It's up on the Holcombe Estate at Brant Hill Farm. And that's still running today and doing really well. And that's how I got into the beer industry. And after that, I grew up in the Twickenham area. So I decided to open um, our first shop in Twickenham. Now, back in that, at that time, you've got to imagine in 2005, you couldn't walk around and find craft beer. Craft beer didn't exist. It was all called Real Ale. And hence, that's why the business is called Real Ale Limited. If I'd known, if I'd predicted craft, I would have been called Craft Limited and beaten everyone else to the punch, but I didn't do that. And that's one of those things that happens. But we started off, um, opened the shop in 2005 with um, eight brewers in the shop because we couldn't find that many more that were doing good bottle conditioned beer. We sold all bottle conditioned beers. We had basically every beer they would produce, we would pretty much stock as long as it was it was good and it's grown over time to be where we are now where there's hundreds and you know over 2,000 breweries in the UK probably too many um, there's not enough kind of beer volume to kind of keep everyone going at the right speed and have enough volumes to make everything work probably um, but now we have you know four or five hundred beers we stock in each of our stores and you know ranges of wine and spirits as well because we kind of want to be known as a good liquid delicatessen not just a not just a beer shop but beer is our dna of the business which breweries did you start out with crikey i think we had saint hostel vale brewery fox brewery uh hepworth brewery woodford's brewery and a couple others. That's kind of like maybe Y Valley, I think at one point we might have had it. You know, we just kind of, it, literally it was whoever I could find, I'd literally drive around the country in my van, pick up beer, fill the van up, come back and stock the shop and just kind of slowly built off of doing that. We kind of like to think we've built up a really good um, local trade over the 15 years we've been in Twickenham. Um, and we've recently actually changed the Twickenham shop to have an on license as well. Um, it's the last of the three to actually get that. And it's going absolutely gangbusters at the moment. Probably should have done that first, but that's how it goes. Better late than never. Yeah, indeed. But obviously the hard work ethic, you know, has seen the business go from strength to strength in recent years. I mean, is there such a thing as a normal day for, for you both? I think it, yeah, it varies. You know, I think, um, 
I mean, I joined, as I said, 10 years ago. And back then we were running the camera beer club for camera. And, um, you know, I came from a very different background. And I remember sitting in this warehouse with, with Nick, huge warehouse. We were basically just ringing around breweries um, that we could think of and that we could find on the internet. Um, and finding bottle, bottle conditioned beers to fill the camera beer club. Um, and they all had to be bottle conditioned. Um, and, um, you know, when I think back to that time and then where we are now and how formats have changed, you know, it's just such a big shift uh, from back there 10 years ago. But I mean, I suppose, yeah, we've, we've grown the team massively since then. I think when I joined, there were probably four, maybe five people. Um, we're now up to over 30 people. Um, and, you know, as we've grown with Marks and Spencers in particular, you know, our, our natural kind of growth with them has meant we've had to bring on new people, new expertise. Um, so you might have somebody, you might have, say, our technical brewer. Um, we've got a head brewer who works for us going out and auditing a brewery on one day. You know, we'll have somebody finishing off a pitch, say, for MS um, for for a product that they want to try and launch. Um, and then you've got all the guys in our retail armor who are restocking the shelves and you know talking to producers and brewers about new products and that kind of thing so pretty varied kind of um, team no oh, excellent and we'll talk a bit, bit more about the mns relationship later but in 15 years obviously a lot's changed in the industry you touch upon sort of formats it's being a big shift as well in your eyes what have been the main main seismic shifts that have happened in this decade and a half well, I mean, to start with, you know, in that time, craft beer has completely exploded and we've obviously ridden, ridden that wave, as, as Nick said. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I remember very vividly when we first ever got Colonel in our store and Evan actually used to, you know, deliver head brewer owner, I suppose, at Colonel used to deliver that beer um, to us personally. Um, you know, that was such a big deal for us having someone like Colonel um, and, you know, Brewdog were definitely amongst that crowd of the first ever breweries who were really doing things differently to everything we'd had before. Um, you know, the one-off brews were quite kind of quite unique then, I think, as well. And I remember when Brewdog first bought out, I think it was, we would have been Punk IPA in a can in a 330 and, you know, we couldn't believe it. And that was a big actually selling point for converting people to, to this new amazing thing called craft beer. I think additionally, that's right. I think additionally, um, going from kind of having a shop when we had the first shop in Twickenham at that point, um, still 10 years ago is the only shop we had would have been, everything was bottle conditioned and hop forward beers were just starting to come through on bottle condition and then the kind of craft beer revolution happened. I mean, you know, Brewdog brought out the 330 mil can. We'd, you know, we'd been over to the States a number of times. I go to the States quite regularly. And, you know, you'd be seeing, go to the West Coast, you see everything was in 330 mil cans at that point, you know. Um, and you could just see that we were behind the States by 10 or 15 years in our kind of evolution into craft beer, even though actually beer is our national drink and we should be a long way ahead. And I actually feel like we've gone from kind of 15 years ago when we started where we were behind the states and I actually was lucky enough to go to college in Portland Oregon in the 90s when the kind of beer revolution started and well the latest beer revolution started and happened out in the states um you could just see that we were behind the curve and we've kind of definitely caught right up there and I actually think we go toe-to-toe -to -toe now 
on different styles and new things that are happening against um you know line up against american brewers really well everyone has a place in the industry and a, a fit fit you know there's a good fit for everyone as well but it's definitely for us i think the biggest thing has been people's enjoyment of hops um has really accelerated you know a lot of you know ipa and parallel growth through the industry which has driven a lot of canned sales and a lot of keg sales because obviously hop forward beers work really they work very well in cask but they work extremely well in keg with more carbonation effectively and that seems to be what you get through a can product or a bottle product as well and you touch upon that sort of um change in sort of consumer tastes in recent I suppose months and years are there any other sort of trends you've seen from your your customers that have kind of helped drive you forward i think they're more discerning now there's kind of been when we in 2005 where it was seen as a very brave move to open a beer shop that only sold beer at the time and we've now expanded to sell wine and spirits um but we only sold beer for about four or five years um there was no one else really doing that in the uk and with that came we basically have the kind of ethos that we need to basically educate people or, or try and educate people and just give them information about who the producers are who the brewers are what's unique about the particular beer that they're producing and why we think it's so good i mean it, in 2005 everything was sold on a quality message i.e we use the best barley we use the best hops now that's a kind of a given if you're not using what everyone deems as the best um, raw ingredients why do i even consider drinking your your beer or cider i it, that that for me has been a real uh, a change everyone's it's got a little lot leaner and meaner and people are really discerning in in the tastes and flavors that they're interested in trying experimenting with i think i'd also add that you know people um want an experience you know um i remember you know going back in the day but we used to do quite a lot of tastings and we literally could pack out our twickenham store with people you know as a free tasting they come along they meet a brewer and it was a really kind of unique thing that we were doing obviously fast forward to where we are now and where we're sitting here in notting hill you know people want to sit in they want to enjoy the product they want to see where it's from they want to talk to joe at the bar and understand where that beer comes from you know and i think that has been a big change for people and i certainly think you know when i go to a a brewery tap room which have kind of exploded in you know the last what, couple of years um, there's nothing more inspiring than sitting there and enjoying a beer with the brewer out there you can see him brewing the beer out the back and you know you're in a lovely environment enjoying the product and with a brewery having a beer in an environment like this how do they go about to sort of breed that sort of loyalty with the consumer so it's not just a one-off experience but something that will encourage that person to come back in and go do you have any more of that beer I had last week, you know, so I can come back for them, regardless of this, be it the same beer or the same star, but to come back time and time again? I think it comes down to, um, you've got to have a good product. You've got to walk a thin line, which is a hard balancing act to do, of, I, I believe, um, especially for s the smaller brewers, of having a core range and having, um, but then also having uh, one-offs that you're also producing. So you want to kind of, you want to be enticing people in with a kind of one-off, but you need to have a core that they may be trying, you know, an Irish stout or something, but then they want to be able to go back to their 
they want a couple pints, then maybe it's not the Irish Stout's not going to be the one they're going to have five pints of. They might want to go back to the Brewers Pale Ale or something like that, or you know New England Hazy or something like that to try just to have their core range that they that the brewer can get volume through, but that they can also keep enticing people back to the table for that. And you know it's a mixture of quality of product and then being interesting and, and having something a little bit new. I mean, if you go to the really big boys, they don't have like. 300 beers they produce in a year they have four or five maximum you know and so when you get down to the micro end of the scale brewers need to have more beers because they need to generate that interest but they still to make the economies of scale work for your brewery you need to know that you're brewing ordering the same ingredients right relatively regularly brewing the same stuff and having really good consistency and obviously on smaller kit it's harder to have good consistency than it is on larger kit so there's a definitely a balancing act and you know we um in the early days my god we had a lot of bad beer a lot of bad beer that you know we get people starting out brewing specifically cask beers and bottle conditioned beers and stuff like that and they'd be bringing it in and the kind of hygiene understanding just wasn't there in the industry and in the micro side at all and it's got a lot better but we still do get beer that's not good and we, you know we are regularly you know we try beer every every day every week in all of our shops we're always looking for the the next new cool exciting um product and brewer to be um to be able to sell their 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 brands but you know there's still some beer out there that's not very good and kind of one thing if any salesperson is listening to this please try your beer before you come into our shops so that when we try it you've also tried it because you'd be surprised how many times that doesn't happen and you're trying a dud and it's just kind of like you feel bad for the salesperson and the brewer and you kind of like they've lost an opportunity who excites you in the sort of the brewing landscape at the moment? Back to Nick's point about some of the kind of the, the brewers are very good at doing core products. They're the ones I tend to kind of go back to. So uh, Burnt Mill is definitely one of the breweries I'm always revisiting. Um, North Brewing Co. I think are a great brewery. Kind of depends, you know, which retailers you're focusing on. So, so I think at a national level, um, you know, with our national retail hats on, we might look slightly differently at, at the brewing industry and who we who we kind of are interacting with on that. Uh, but then, you know, within our retail part, we're much more kind of playful and can obviously introduce smaller breweries. And that's what we're all about. Like, we definitely want to introduce some of those really small new breweries who've maybe only done a couple of productions and they've brought them in to, to try them with us. I agree. And I'd say if you put all of the staff who worked at Real L here, you'll get a different answer from every single person. <laughs> so it's quite a hard one to answer. Well, variety is the spice of life. I mean, you mentioned... You know, there's a balance, a fine line really between, you know, the core and new releases. I mean, how, how many is too many when you're kind of getting calls or getting visits with, with new beers each each week or month? It's very brewery specific. We, I mean, some brewers, you know, have made a name by actually just continuously doing new stuff, which which does work. But there's only but we find that there's only so many people who can actually really pull that off and have really good beers all the time that kind of keeps it going. It's hard, to, it's hard to put a number on. It's really hard to put a number on. It depends on the size of the brewery. I mean, but we wouldn't want to be introducing with one brewer. We wouldn't want to be introducing like 12 or 15 new beers every single year. We kind of, it's hard to make it genuine to like really make it, this is a really good, something that's really good and new because you want to get a bit of volume behind it. But at the same time, you know, if somebody comes in here with a really good beer, and the branding's really good. 
then the likelihood is we go, we've got to get it. Yeah, you know, you, you you can, it sends a ripple through our business when something is brought in or sent in or whatever. And everybody's like, we've got to try it. You've got to try it. You just get it in. Do you know what I mean? But I think like Nick says, there's a balance where you've got to have this kind of really good core range. I mean, I go back to Colonel, but they've always been part of our kind of, you know, core range within all of our shops because, you know, we know we can get them. They're locally produced, so their beer's really fresh and they're really consistent. And, you know, that's great beer for us and we know it sells. You know, and there's a, there's a good few other breweries who are like that too, who will always stock as a result of that. And Zeph makes a really good point, actually, on freshness. That's actually another thing that's really changed in the industry over the, you know, from when we've, when we opened originally in 2005 to, to now, is that there's just so much more um, emphasis on having fresh beer now. And that's, you know, through, say, 2010, there's quite a lot of American beer being imported. Um, and, you know, you'd kind of get in and say, we'd get in a, a race of five from California or something. And, you know, we'd get it in and we'd do everything we possibly can to make sure it's been refrigerated the whole way. It's, you know, it's been on um, a lower deck of a ship and all that kind of stuff to make sure it's kept cold. It gets in and you kind of go, crikey we are two weeks from expiry. You know, how do we, <laughs> because it's only having, it's having three months put on the, on the product. And how do you, how do you kind of justify that and then having to sell everything and kind of, then you get into a kind of, well, best before date, is it really the right best before date? Well, it is for what the brewer wants it to be for the beer. You know, it's a hop forward beer. They want it to have the right hop notes in the beer that's going to dissipate after that period of time. So in, we have definitely noticed that very, re, you know, a lot more recently, chilled um, supply chain is now much more important and it's why we find that specifically supporting a lot of local brewers we can um, ensure the beer is fresh all the time i mean we are blessed in this country unlike the us and other places that you know we're only the size of you know we're smaller than some of the states literal individual states we can get product around the country you know within 24 48 hours so you can get quite quick fulfillment but there's still not I, I'm not convinced there's a proper, fully chilled fulfillment um, avenue in the UK at the moment. You, you whatever people say, you can't always guarantee that you're getting product that's been chilled from a brewery gate all the way to your shop. I think as well, you know, it also comes down to the consumer as well. And um, do they actually take it home and make sure that 24 cans or whatever go in a fridge? Probably not. They probably go in a little cupboard. And it's probably like ambient temperature, which, you know, isn't ideal given that you've given all this care to a product, kept it in a fridge. And and so, you know, there's probably some education to continue with with um, with our customers as well. But freshness and quality are the overriding factors that, you know, resulting in that shift away from less American produce, as I said, and more, and more local instead. Definitely. I remember... I distinctly remember serving a customer in our Twickenham store and it was quite a long time ago so you know probably um, at a time when freshness you know we didn't have all fridges um, you know storing up here in Twickenham and that was definitely at that time and I remember him saying to me no I'm not going to take the American beers because they're just they're not fresh enough I'd rather take like a London beer and I was like yeah fair enough you know that's a consumer definitely knows what they want and knows what they're tasting. Yeah, I've spent a fair sum on, on beer that you know is well past it, but you want it because no other choice. But yeah, yeah it's good to see that change. 
and taking a step back, I suppose, to maybe potential advice for uh, brewery sales folk. Do you have any sort of do's and don'ts when it comes to trying to grab that sort of potential listing at a business like Real Ale? I think like Nick said it before, is you've just got to make sure that the beer that arrives with us to taste is as good as your head brewer wants it to be. Because we do try a lot of beer that clearly hasn't, you know, gone, well, it's obviously gone through QC, well, maybe it hasn't, I don't know. And the, the salesperson hasn't checked it and it might be old and you just want that beer to be in the best possible sp- taste to, 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 you know, for us to try it. So I think that is a, that's a big one. And I think lots, lots of us have said that. I mean, design is becoming, or has become, not becoming, it's so critical, you know, a really good brand. I think formats um, generally within our stores now, a lot of um, products are in can um, and 440 mil seems to be a big one for certainly for 2019. And I'd go, you know, wraparound cans as well. The, the wraparound labels seems to be a, a big plus. The only other thing is just being probably a little bit realistic about the volume. You know, we have three shops. There's only a certain amount of volume we can, we're going to be able to supply someone. We need a relatively keen price, but we're not looking for a price that you'd sell into a supermarket at. We, everyone's got to have enough salt left on the bread at the end of the day to kind of pay wages and make everything happen. Um, but yeah, and it's just, we're, we're open for business. We're here. We'd love to try beer. Come into the shops and leave some samples. Great. You talk about sort of limited space with, with three stores. Obviously, M&S has greatly benefited from, from working with Real Ale in recent years and a lot of excitement, you know, and uh, with last couple of years with the various breweries that you've helped to furnish their shelves with. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about, I suppose, how that relationship came about? Yeah, sure. The, um, the re- relationship came about actually back uh, from the Twickenham shop when we were doing only bottle conditioned beers. And um, we I bought the website realale.com. No one had it. I just thought... That'd be a good website to have, kind of fits with the name, perfect. Um, set the website up um, with the brewers that we're supplying in the shop um, on a regional basis. So you could see in what area of the country, what brewers we had from what area and what the beers were. With the idea that we're in an area that has quite a lot of chimney pots in Twickenham. And the idea was that the people would go around the UK on holidays and they'd go and find a new brewer they liked. If we didn't have it in the shop, we'd probably get it in the shop. If we did have it in the shop, they could sh- they could have a beer they had on holiday. And that's always a nice thing when you find a new beer when you're on holiday. It's always nice to, be able to actually have that when you get home as well. Um, so that was kind of a little bit of the concept. And M&S um, were looking for someone to help them launch a regional range of bottle conditioned beers. This is where the long story kind of comes to comes back together. And... Um, we were the only people in the country who had a website that had regional beers on it. So they called us up and long story short, had a meeting with a guy who was a very lovely chap called James Fisher, who came to the shop one day, talked to him around the shop for about six hours and the shop's not very big. So it was a lot of talking and a lot of, we didn't try actually that much funnily enough, but I can talk if I need to. And I did for a long time. And at the end of the meeting, he said, I think you're the one to supply us. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, not knowing what the heck I was getting into. And so we started with four beers with Marks and Spencers. We launched in early 2007. And um, now we probably do 100, 150 plus different beers and ciders with them, um, both nationally and regionally listed through the whole of the MS network. And we've actually expanded into now supplying, you know, starting to supply other supermarkets as well. So were those beers... Um, the brewery's own label or were they the ones that were kind of brewed for MS? They started as own label and as part of the kind of listing, I made it 
I felt it was really important because up until the point we launched these four beers, um, they'd never referenced the brewery. And I thought it was really important that we referenced the brewery on the front of pack. It wasn't just like it's been brewed by Hepworth Brewery, you know, and the address on the back label. So in case there's a legal problem, it's more like, no, we're proud. This is a really good beer. This is the brewery that's done it. The reason why, you know, M&S is... Um, a business that is very proud of new product development and is always wants to be on the you know on the leading edge of what new cool new and different products can can be and be a, the first mover in the market which i think they do a very good job of and that was no different with beer it's exactly what we're looking to do so at that time there was no nationally distributed bottle conditioned beers so they were the first to kind of get bottle conditioned beers back out onto the shelf started with four and that range grew quite quickly to 15 or 20 bottle conditioned beers that were nationally listed and 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 supplied and every single one of them had the brewery name on the front of the pack with the whole story on the back of pack so people could actually start making that link now that now would be expected you know people want to know what the authenticity of the beer actually is but at that point that was not the case and how often are they on the lookout to sort of add to that range uh continuously we are continuously doing um new product development pitches into Marks and Spencer's we're obviously one of a number of different suppliers um in the beer category I think we're probably the biggest one now I'm glad to say but um we are continuously always looking so I think one of the new th unique things about us is that because we have our own retail estate and because we um also deal with national distributors uh, as a Marks and Spencer's other supermarkets we are lucky that we have a we're right at the coal face and we're right at the kind of tip of the spear in we're right at the all the new interesting stuff that's happening where a lot of um microbreweries are really pushing the envelope and exploiting different styles and we're able to watch and see the market how it develops and like pick out different things that are coming from the market as they come from the tip of the spear and then start becoming more into the mainstream we're able to pluck those before they kind of do that we feel and then give that opportunity to um, national supermarkets to be able to decide if that's something they're interested in listing and it also allows us which i think is um really important for us it's always been about what we wanted the dna of the business to be is is our job is to help support the microbrewing industry in the uk and we then give them an avenue to a bigger market so we start off with supplying them in our own shops you know we we buy their product we think it's good product we buy and sell their product and sell that to our local customers but then we're also there to be able to help them launch into whatever size of footprint of national distribution they're interested in getting into and help them try and bridge that gap to be able to do that so it's not too scary for them they don't come too financially exposed because we're able to mitigate the risks so we know what we're doing and it allows them an avenue to grow grow their business through through the through the off trade yeah just just to add to that i suppose is just that i guess we we like to be seen as a kind of one-stop shop for breweries um particularly when when they're looking at um you know selling through a national retailer um as i said before you know we've got a kind of technical arm of our business um we've also got a supply chain part um you know we're heavily rely on data now we kind of the way you you have to kind of view national sales is is much more kind of data driven i guess when you take yourself out of the kind of independent sector and um what we've focused predominantly on here which is craft beer and you start looking nationally you're you're thinking much more about you know well what portion of craft actually is 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 that of part of the kind of national um distribution so you know 
lager is what about 85% of off sales so and craft is probably about under 10%. So, you know, we have to look at the whole um the whole kind of uh, category and and decide where there are opportunities and it's through, you know, a, a really good team that we've built up and through expertise through them that we've been able to do that and I think that's what hopefully we have for add to breweries so that they can call us and they know they can either get sales data or you know a brewer can speak to Jenna who's our you know head of head of technical or Rich who's you know in distribution so it's a kind of easier way of of channeling um, communication as well. I suppose, obviously, it's a sign of a, a popular spot that is getting busy at three o'clock on a weekday afternoon. Just to end on then, where do you see beer going next this year? Or where would you like it to go? I suppose something I've been pretty impressed with over 2019 is the way brewers have reacted to the, the whole kind of low and no um, um, thing, if you call it that. So, you know, there's definitely been some really, really great examples of, of low alcohol beers, and I can't see that dropping off, particularly in, in, in dry January. Um, so that would definitely be one thing. I suppose, like Nick touched on, I suppose, you know, some of those smaller breweries who've been bringing out lots of different beers to, to focus on a, perhaps a bit more of a core range would be a, would be a really good thing as well. I also think that... Um... <laughs> It, kind of talking about the two areas of business retail is tough at the moment so i think um there could be a little bit of consolidation through re- i mean we're seeing companies on the high street you know closing at a rate of knots unfortunately um i think um we talked talked about earlier that there are a lot of breweries in the uk at the moment and i have a feeling there'll be you know we've been talking about consolidation in the market and it is slowly starting to happen i think and hopefully i just hope that the cream of the crop still rise to the top and it's kind of kept all going it'll it'll probably make it a little bit more of a healthy um trading environment for that if that does happen because we do have a lot of breweries at the moment there's a lot of breweries um and i think zeph's right about no and low um it's definitely something that's gathering pace and will continue to do so it's very obviously it's starting from a very low position so if you see figures on it it's probably going to be growing at double digit growth but from a low position but i I think um with the younger generation now who are the kind of people who are at, at university or just leaving university they are people who don't drink as much so we've got to find a way to convert those guys into no and low or into just quality drinkers but maybe not having as many units is another possibility I think as well, you know, the whole um, kind of experience of drinking in a tap room, whether it be here in Notting Hill or, you know, in a in a brewery's own tap room, that's no, that's only going to grow and gather pace. I think. I think it's. I think for us anyway, it's definitely been a reaction to, you know, the, the kind of state of the high street. We, you know, just having an off license wouldn't work anymore for our business and so we've had to adapt and it's been a really good thing and it actually works perfectly for the kind of business we are so it's you know but that i think is gonna we're gonna see that continue to rise long may it continue um zeph nick thank you very much for your time